0: All right, any questions? we got another microphone here. Um, if We need to run two microphones. What? We just need to get everybody to sit together. And there are blankets if you're cold. See, once, once the ABF starts, the AC wins. Before, it's fighting against a full room of people, and then the AC, like, has its victory now. And... Uh, yeah, the blankets get washed weekly. So, um, I hope you wash them strongly, but you know, really scrub them. But just weekly. In the spring,
1: you're washing
0: them. I see. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, so, any questions from this morning? Any thoughts or anything? Ooh,
2: Renee.
3: It seems like I remember a time in history where it was thought among Christians that acting was wrong. And I actually knew a Christian man in Homer, Alaska, who could not watch TV or movies, he said, because he had a hard time differentiating reality. Mm. And he said he just couldn't do it, Mm. which I respected a lot. So do you have any comments about (laughs) acting? Well... And that's originally, I think, why it was considered taboo for Christians to, or even acting people to be actors.
0: No, no, it's, it's, I, think, I think it's a actually really fascinating question um, because storytelling, whatever form you're doing, I mean, a person reading a book is acting out the parts at the basic level, right? You know, you read a story to your kids, then the bear said, you know, and you're acting, right? Um, and there's no, no, that's, that's all you're getting. Sorry. Um, but, it, no, but it is interesting, right? Because um, theater and story has a way of, in some aspects, bypassing the critical thinking and, of, and can appeal directly to the affections. And that is what can be dangerous because you and I can watch a, a film or a play where th- wickedness is being done. And we know it's wickedness. And yet, our heart sympathizes with it. Probably the best example I can think of is the Bridges of Madison County. If you ever seen that, the whole movie is an apologetic for an affair being okay, right? So you get the two kids at the end, and one thinks mom can't believe after the mom's dead is discovered in one summer, she had this fling with a with Clint Eastwood, a, a photographer, and while the father was away at the fair, you know and. And you, it's this really sympathetic story. She always wanted to travel the world, but she settled down with this boring, faithful farmer. But she had this one summer. And the whole movie is meant to make you sympathetic to that. And you, as a Christian, can watch that, can know that's wrong, but your affections can still go to it. And you can sympathize and you can find yourself praying that she'll meet up with Clint at the end. So, it, no, because this is important because when I talk to people about the things we watch, oh, I can separate what's true and what's right. I can too. My mind knows that's wrong. My heart can still be wooed by, I mean, let's make it really simple. I know that, you know, seeing a naked woman on a screen is not right. My heart can still go after it, right? So it's not enough to say, well, I can, I can discern what's going on. The heart's deceitful and wicked, so that, that's one factor. And if he said he doesn't know it's reality, I'm trying to think what the best thing he might be saying is something like that. My heart gets deceived, and I find myself sympathizing and applauding things that I shouldn't be sympathizing and applauding, um, you know, so, uh, so that's the first piece. But then there's all sorts of other issues. Like, we shouldn't say corrupt things. What if we're doing it in theater? Would you curse Jesus if you were playing a centurion at the foot of the cross for a passion play? Would that be okay? I'm not sure. If Like, my part was to play a blasphemer. and The director's like, Jeremy, get into it. You can blaspheme better than that. No, so there actually are a fair number of interesting ethical questions. Now, at the end of the day, God has um, his prophets, Ezekiel most notably, and Zechariah act out things, and there's story in the Bible. There's stories and there's there's um, you know the, the parables, right? So we know that storytelling isn't fundamentally wrong, but it is a really interesting concept because just as God's word created the universe, a storyteller now get get to like literature. Creates a world, and what you're looking for when you read the story is to be captivated, and you read Lord of the Rings, and you're in Middle-earth in your mind, right? So there isn't even an issue of, of reflecting God's glory there that's at work. So all, all I want to say is I don't have a lot of answers. I, I think about this stuff. I find it really fascinating, um, and we need to probably think more critically. Um, some of the pat answers I get, well, I know what's right, and I know what's wrong. My heart's really deceptive. And there's, that's why there are some movies you might be able to watch. It doesn't woo your heart to cheer and long for evil, but it might do that to mine. And that's part of the reason why it's not as simple as saying, here are the movies Christians can watch, here are the movies Christians can't watch, and, you know, um, because what might be a stumbling block for some person might not be for somebody else. I mean, I think there are some clear things we should avoid. Um, we don't want to gaze upon another person's nakedness. That, that, that seems to be pretty clear. Um, And then, you know, we certainly want to guard our hearts, and we want to... And then you got to even think through the whole notion of leisure. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, has an essay grappling... The issue Lewis is grappling with is is how, with the world war going on, could people be doing trivial things like studying literature and art in college? And he ups the stakes, and he's like, forget the world war. Every day, people are going to hell. How can we justify doing anything other than evangelizing? And he says, but I think if we can answer that second question, we can answer the first question. And what he was just talking about is how God, this notion of vocation and the holiness of work and things being done to the glory of God. So then finding a place for leisure, finding a place for rest, I think that'd be the theological category. What are you doing when you're watching a movie? Well, I mean, maybe sometimes you're watching it critically. It's actually work. Um, but most of the time, I think we do it for rest. And there is a biblical category for rest and for refreshment. Um, Okay, those are my off-the-cuff ramblings about art and theater. I don't know if that was going where you're going, but that's, that's, that's the off-the-cuffness, okay? But it's a fact it actually is a much deeper topic than I think. Um, y- there are a lot of interesting questions raised by art and theater, and I don't have a ton of answers. Next question. Dave Kingery in the back.
1: I, I like the TV one. I I thought that, um, but do you think that uh, criti- criticism of TV? And I and I watch watch some TV. I'm not against it, but but even in the fifties, in the family on the Family Channel, mm. where they don't have any cussing or swearing or or uh, right. or uh, half nudity and that
0: dancing.
1: <laughs> so <Sorry>. um. <laughs> they. They, they have this attitude where this, uh, where this uh, strong hero comes in and saves the day and everybody right. worships the hero without giving glory to God. Right. And I know that secular, they're not going to do that, but the, the, the message is clear that you really don't need to give glory to God. And, the, well, and, it, the, and so that's just as destructive, I think, yeah. as cussing and swearing. Oh, wouldn't Lord, it so be? I,
0: I mean, the, the, the church generally gets up in arms and what you hear most with is language and violence. And I'm not saying those aren't important, but I think the real danger is much more subtle and pernicious. Go to Romans 1. Surprise, surprise. Um, go to Romans 1. I want you to see what the, the, the capstone of human... The, the capstone of the demonstration of human wickedness is, right? So in Romans 1, the, the tr- fruit of the tree of seeing God and not wanting to worship Him and suppressing that truth and righteousness, Paul gives them a laundry list starting in 28 of chapter 1. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, ruthless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So let me ask you, what's worse, doing those things or applauding those things? And every time you and I shell out money to rent a movie, every time you and I you know, click on a YouTube video, whatever, we're approving of what we see. So now I go through that list, and do we enjoy laughing at disobedient children to parents? I think there's plenty of comedies that put that in a very comical light. The child has to either be so over-the-top disrespectful, right? because most sitcoms, the father is a complete buffoon and a fool, and that's funny, and... The smartest person on the show is usually the dog. Most problems get solved that way. And the kids are certainly smarter than the parents. And then we laugh at it because it's done in a clever, witty way. Okay, your heart is applauding. Give me more children disrespectful to their parents. That is wonderful. That just brings a smile to my face. Okay, that's a problem. And that's the subtle thing is if we train our hearts to delight in things that God hates. You know, here's this laundry list, and worse than doing them is applauding them. So I would, I would strongly suggest it'll, the practice of thinking, "What is it I enjoy about this?" And I, and I think there can be great answers. I mean, you go to go go from here over to Philippians um, about the types of things we should be setting our mind on. Um, I mean, the proverbs say that it's a fool laughs. At sin. We, we shouldn't be laughing at sin. We, we should be, um, you know, resp- we want to train our hearts and our affections to respond rightly. So we'll watch things that if, I mean, something like saving Private Ryan, I think, can have a redemptive value. If the point is to show you how awful war is, it does a good job. You're supposed to respond that way. It, if you were there, you, the whole point is supposed to be like, oh my goodness. But we can watch things that if we saw them in real life, our hearts would break and we'd weep. But if it's done in just the right way, we can laugh, we can smile, we can say, that was really neat. And that's, I think, minimally going to be desensitizing us. Let me, okay, Philippians 2. So Paul gives us, in Philippians 4, a list of things to be thinking about. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I'd say, as you watch TV, watch those things. Um, and so I, the, the first question for me is, is this media or movie portraying evil as evil and good as good? So, yeah, I think something like Saving Private Ryan, you could argue, is showing the horror of war. This is horrific. Horrific. If, if they're showing war as something fun and exciting, that's where you got to start asking questions. Um, and, then, no, your point. I mean, I remember be, one of the movies I used to like watch when I was a kid was Pale Rider. I'm going to step on somebody's toes here. Clint Eastwood, Pale Rider. and He shows up into town, and he sets the bad guy straight. And, and, and you try to think through it, right? There is something to defending the cause. Someone might lay down his life for another. But there's definitely, at least in my heart, a part of me that says vengeance is Clint Eastwood's. And in, and even though, so it's one, you know, there are portions of the movie where he's defending other people. There are other portions where you, Clint Eastwood's going to show you don't mess with Clint Eastwood. And it's kind of hard to fit turning the other cheek and some of the things Jesus said into that. And my heart is getting ready for him to, to whoop up on him. Because, man, vengeance is Eastwood's. And it's so delicious when he does it. I love a good piece of hickory. You know, I mean, just... <laughs> And you got to be careful, because your heart is, my heart at least, is going, yes, glory, hallelujah. That's probably not a good thing. And so, so thinking through, I know one of the things I try to think through is, well, what is it that I like about this? Sometimes it's just a really cleverly told tale. I love um, Acorn. Has, uh, my mom's been watching them, uh, the, the little Belgian man, Hercule um, Poirot, and his gray cells. The guy who plays him, David Suchet, is a pretty strong believer. And they're stories of crime, and evil is shown as evil, and good is shown as good, and they're clever, and you try to figure out what's going on. Okay, there's some excellence here. This is this is witty. I mean, but that's its value. You know, it's, it's kind of a distraction, and gives my brain a puzzle to solve, but that's not bad. I mean, if I'm watching 12 of them a day, that's probably a problem. Um, so I'm not saying you have to find some, like, noble Christian virtue. It can just be like, this is a well-told tale. You yeah? um, So... So, Dave, I, no, I agree. I think it's much slipperier and much, um, much more difficult. In fact, I think comedies tend to be the most, most uh, difficult. Because here's, here's, you ever find this? Someone says something crass, but they say it in a funny way, and it becomes like a catchphrase, and then it pops up in your own head. Oh, that happens to me. stuff I saw 10, 20 years ago. Some snappy, rude remark, come back, some whatever. I won't give any examples. And they stick with you. Because you want to be funny and witty like that, you know? Um, and, and, and th- yeah, comedies are really difficult to find. I've found, at least in my experience, difficult to find a much redemptive value in comedies because so often what the world's laughing at is wicked, um, is corrupt, or folly. Like, here's a fool. Let us laugh at him. <laughs> when, when the Bible has laughing at fools, it's derision, mockery, and scorn. It's it's not amusement. So like when the nations rage against God and he laughs at them, he's not like chuckling. He's not like, this is entertaining. You wicked fool. No, and no, there can be absolutely something like a dramatic comeuppance, and you know, you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind, and you see that, and there's something satisfying about that. That that, that, that can have its place. But if the whole notion is here's a buffoon, here's a buffoon, laugh. Ha! I don't think that that would, anyway. And I'm just giving you my own thoughts on, 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 as I'm trying to look at my own heart. I'm not trying to give laws for everybody else. But the heart is deceitful and wicked. And so when you find yourself delighting in something, I think it's a fair question to take a minute and say, what is it I like about this? I mean, you got your list in Philippians, you know, of, of the it's excellent, it's worthy of praise, it's good. What would I commend as worthy of praise in this? You know, right? Um, anyway. Oh, Dave still wants to go. Dave.
1: Oh, I just, I just, is this on? Okay. I, this is, this is probably going to be irritating to some people, but I, I love criticizing Christian movies, even Jesus films, because (laughs) they contradict scripture all the time, Uh. add stuff.
0: Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Like hold on. the Ten
1: Commandments, for example, I like watching it, but there are so many contradictions in there. What's that? Well, it's it's kind of a biblical, yeah, kind of a biblical movie, but the, 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 there are so many
0: let me, problems. I, rather than it. picking on a particular, no, mom, rather than pick on a particular, which I will not do. Um, I will say that, by and large, the Christian output of media has not been t- done very well. Well, u- usually because they're trying to go for the largest Christian market they can, which tends to be Christian-ish. Yeah. Right. And, and, for, and yeah. I, I, I'll use one example. The worst example I ever saw, I mean, I just laughed the whole way through at how ridiculous it was, was A Night with the King. Um, this is somebody's favorite movie now, I'm stepping on their toes, but... They were so ashamed of the Esther story that they couldn't tell it right. When you join someone's harem, you don't remain a virgin very long. But they have them go on their first date and their kiss. And, and I mean, it's this love story. Like, they have the whole thing backwards. They, you know, they're just ashamed of the story. Like, they're trying to, they got to make Esther the good girl. They, gotta, they don't realize Esther's not the good guy. Esther is a corrupt person. Woman who has a moment of faithfulness. I mean, she's got some admirable character, but she's the point of the story isn't moralism. Be a good little girl like Esther. Be a good little boy like David. You know, the point of the story is look how God saved His people, and look how this woman, by trusting Him in this one area, you, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah. So normally, if you're, what you're shooting at, if your audience is Christian America, you're going to largely make moralistic, therapeutic, theistic stuff where everybody. Everybody gets what they want at the end. You get the new car. The couple who couldn't have the baby have the baby. The person who is sick gets better. Um, the the the, un, the unsaved person eventually comes to faith. Yeah, it, it, it's I haven't been terribly impressed by the Christian outlook. I I, I won't go to any more specific examples, Dave. But yes.
1: Oh oh yeah, the 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 latest one. And no I'll no, say, you're going
0: to go to the very specific one.
1: It, it, I, and I won't say anything for six months. I, I'm so concentrated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you saved up your chips? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: okay. The, the la- last one that I, I forgot, what, 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 the God movie or something that the, the, they uh, talked about the Big Bang Theory was oh, yeah, supposed the
0: God to is not, I'll say something about God is Not Dead. I think that movie actually does a positive disservice. Because in the movie, this kid takes on the professor has a debate with them of Christianity. And in the movie, of course, the professor doesn't have answers to his questions. There are... The, here's... Let me put it... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick... I'm going to critique it, and then we're going to be done talking about it. You're not going to get a chance to critique it as well. Um, <laughs> this, is my, this is my ABF, okay? I can make the rules. I feel like it gives Christians a Nerf gun telling them they've got a, a, a real rifle that if somebody actually went onto a secular campus and tried using most of those arguments, they'd get obliterated. And yet, because in the movie he triumphs, in the movie the professor has nothing to say, people leave the movie thinking, oh, wow, those are powerful arguments, when in reality, no, they weren't. Um, that's my fear with that. So somebody watches that movie is going to try to whip that out on their atheist friend next, and they're going to get demolished. That's So I, yeah, I'd say to some degree it serves a positive disservice. Like, Don't present yourself as having powerful arguments when you don't. Um, what? Use, use, here's some powerful arguments. There you go. Okay. Mike is moving on now, though. Else Who else wants to? I don't know how we got off on TV and movies. We have this, we've got this spicy topic of government and Caesar. And we're talking, that's cool. We can talk whatever you guys want to talk about. I'll scratch your itch. That's okay.
3: Um, I liked what you said about uh, you watch something. And your brain says, no, that's not right. But your heart says yes. And as a Christian, we look at the Bible, we see the facts, which leads to faith, believing, our thinking, and then affections come last. Hmm. And this kind of goes the other way around. Our affections come. It starts changing the way we think right. and the way we believe. Right. And, I just, and you were kind of saying that, but it's... Yeah. Give it a different spin on it. Well,
0: if you look at, you know, if you think of how, how did the, the world, and by the world I mean like the evil world system, how did the world come to change our sexual morality so quickly? Um, but not, not initially by showing these new sexual norms as goods. But we first we started laughing at them, right? Three's Company, Bosom Buddies. You know, heterosexual men pre- d- cross-dressing, pretending so they can live in this thing. But, what? Okay, sure, I'm sure there's tons of examples, right? And we know it's wrong, but it's funny, and it's well done, and it's skillfully told, and it's witty, and you get familiar with it. And then you start to sympathize with it. And then you, I mean, that's precisely how it's done. You don't come out with an argument. And and, and it's the winking whole concept. You're winking at it, you know. Um, the whole joke of Three's Company is Jack Ritter is able to live with the women because he pretends to be gay. He's not really gay, he pretends to be. Isn't that ridiculous? Ha ha! You know? And it normalizes, and what, what we're supposed to, our affections stop responding rightly to sin and evil. And then you, know, you come around a generation or two later and you say, hey, if these people are in love, who are you to say anything? And part of your heart, yeah, why should we? Because, well, you've already bought into a whole bunch of things. So no, I precisely think that that is how a lot of that change happens.
3: And the other thing is, I was thinking, I don't know if you mentioned postmodernism. It's oh like, no, but
0: can we? Where <laughs>
3: yeah. um, there's no absolute truth. It seems like when you get in a discussion with somebody today, it's, it, it goes by feelings instead right. of actual logic. And they use emotional arguments for things yeah. instead of, and people, that's Kind of the way the world is trained now.
0: Yeah. No, the, uh, the, the postmodern mind, w- which basically is given up on either there is no absolute truth or absolute truth can't be knowable in, in most forms. And I'm broadly oversimplifying. So now all that's left is subjective experience. And so... Basically, the mentality is you do what you want with your subjective experience, and I do what I want with my subjective experience. Don't be a jerk and try to interfere with that person's subjective experience. So if that's true for them, if that works for them, good for them, especially if we can't see any immediate victims. So um, that's the foundational bedrock assumption. Greg wants to add to that.
2: Actually, I'm not sure I'm adding to that. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Um, You talked about how what we watch, what we do, will affect... What we think and what yeah. how we feel about things. Uh, I was talking to I, I guess Wendell the other day, and he was <laughs> he was talking about how when they select drone pilots and talk to them about, well, now you may well, very well need to uh, have to bomb these people that are far away. You won't be near them. Can you do that? And and most people like you and me will have problems with that. They found, however, that younger people that grew up on video games uh, are much more willing to say, oh yeah, I can do that. The disassociation, uh, yeah, is, yeah. And is... so they, they, what they have done, watching video games, you know, where you, you just shoot people yeah. uh, continually, they, that has affected how they view people. Right. I personally think that has... Added to the rise of school shootings and things like that, but, uh, but that's a much a larger issue. Yeah, yeah. But but there's no question that what you do or how you are willing to allow yourself to view things is going to affect who you are. Yes. Uh, how you know your your, I guess you called them affections, uh, and and I just don't think there's any there's just no doubt about that. Which Which means we need to be very, very careful what we do because of the damage it's doing to us.
0: Right. Absolutely. And go down to Romans 12. Wherever you set your mind will affect who you become. I used to have a professor who used to say, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. And where, where you put your mind, what you think, what you... Yeah, so how do, we, how do we grow in the image of Christ? Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so garbage in, garbage out. And so if you train yourself to... to the light in certain things, that's going to shape you. It's going to shape you. If you renew your mind in Scripture, that's going to shape you. Um, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely inescapable. Where you spend your mental chips is going to have an impact on who you are. And so, again, I'll just get back to the, the bedrock question. If, as you're watching something, a good question to ask yourself or to have a discussion afterwards if you watch something with your kids or your wife or something is, what was commendable about that if we had to say why you watch that and sometimes the answer there's nothing I thought there might be something commendable and it wasn't you know no this is this is this is, this is a this is a soap bubble just you know um or even though this was bad but the distinction of the I'm talking about affections is the longings and desires of the heart right and this doesn't have to be in a movie this can be a book I read a, anyone read Ethan Frome when they were in school Okay, Ethan Frome tells the story of a man who marries a woman who turns out to be a shrew, and she's sick, and, and, and an invalid needs to care for her, and she doesn't, she's not thankful. She just rails upon him and rails upon him. She's, the whole first part of the book, you're just set to pity this guy. And then I think it's like her cousin or something. Some woman enters a picture to help care for her, and the two of them fall in love. And because of when it's written, it can't work out well. But my goodness, you want it to work out for them. Can't there be some way? He's so hard put upon. He's so mistreated by his wife. She's such an awful person. And, they, he, and you know you can't. They can't get together. But really, you kind of wish they could. And of course, the, it ends in tragedy. They go try to kill themselves together. By it's the worst think worst attempt to ever do that I've ever seen, by literally by sledding down a hill into a tree. That's their plan. They get on a, they get on a tread sled, toboggan, and they sled down the tree, and instead of dying, they become invalids, and the reverse of the movie is the wife who's being cared for now cares for them, and everyone's miserable. And, no, no, but here's the problem, right? The Christian reads that and says, no, that's okay, because in the end it doesn't work out. That might be the case, but if the entire time your heart was saying, let it work out, let it work out, let it work out, your, your affections are drifting to approve of and long for what is wicked. Be careful about that. That's the danger. So a Christian could read that and say, well, no, it's okay, because in the end, the bad person got what was theirs, and in the end, the adulteress, you know, got, got caught or whatever. If the whole point of the movie is to make your heart go, yeah, but if you look at it from their perspective... That's not helpful any more than um, you know, any other topic you know would be. So that, that's what I'm talking about the drift. That you might be able to cognitively get, that's not right. They shouldn't do that. But your heart can be like, but I hope they get away with it. <laughs> and that's the, the dichotomy you got to watch out for. It's not simply enough cognitively to be able to separate truth from error, right from wrong. we we got to guard uh, the Proverbs, right? The heart is the wellspring of life. Guard it. Guard your heart. I have to protect my heart. I don't want this wellspring to get fouled by things outside of it, right? So that, anyway, that's, that's what I'm trying to talk about with that. Um, it's just, it's more than simply, do you know what's right and wrong? Like, what is your heart delighting in? Um, okay. We, we went for a while. Ago. Okay. Who's next? Elsa? Okay. I cannot believe we haven't talked about government yet.
4: That's Okay. I just want to add to what you just okay, said.
0: Okay, we're going to some more. N-
4: yeah. Uh, okay. And that comes back to uh, her question as well. You know, mm. we never in the history of world, the world have people had leisure time like we do. Right. I mean, you had to go milk the cows, you know, the feed Industrial the horses. The Industrial Revolution. is really yeah, important. Yeah, and I think when you bring up your children, you should teach them to use their leisure time properly. But the television has become a babysitter, almost, so that you can do the things you want to do. And you do, people don't spend enough time with their kids teaching them to read books, good books, good literature. If you think of your <coughs> older literature, you know, Charles Dickens, that kind of, they, they still have a regard for God. You know, It is very prominent in those books. The, right. Doing things, um, you know, worshiping God, almost, shall I say? Whereas in the modern but literature, just, just there's because, nothing. But
0: just because it's there. classic literature doesn't mean no. But a <clears> lot
4: <throat> of it is is good reading.
0: Okay. But take the Scarlet Letter. What's the, What's the point of the Scarlet, Scarlet Letter? Letter? Nathaniel Hawthorne, the Scarlet Letter. What's the point of the Scarlet Letter? To sympathize with with Esther. Yeah. Who's the villain? Her husband. No, no, no. He shows up and he really isn't. All all my point is does does Esther ever repent realize what she did was wrong? No, she's proud. It it justifies her. The whole point of the book is her justification. Right? That's training people's hearts to look differently at things. And that's classic literature. Oh, no, 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 no. All I'm saying is just because it's a classic doesn't mean it's safe. That's all I'm saying. Nothing more. Nothing more. But
4: there's more Oh. Safe literature.
0: Okay. It's more Classic safe literature in classics. Then
4: modern yeah. stuff is you know, rubbish. But I'm always thinking of the word you used, amusement. Um, it's against musing, amusing. That's mm-hmm. what we do today. We amuse ourselves instead of musing on God's word. Okay. And I think that that is a problem. We want to be amused. We want to be entertained. Right. All the time, instead of following the Bible, getting hold of good, they are good books, they are good things to read yeah. and do, instead of wasting your time in front of TV, whether okay. it's sport or whatever. <laughs>
0: Let's just threw that one in yeah, yeah, right there. Okay. okay.
4: No, no. In case, uh, uh, in case you have something
0: everyone's toes, here we go.
2: They are performing the sport for God's pleasure.
0: Okay. Um, well, I think I think. Let me get us back to Genesis one. It's fascinating that not only does God tell us what He did, but He tells us how He went about it. And God takes counsel with Himself. I mean, I mean, think about this. Getting back to playing Jeopardy with the Bible. Why do we need to know that before God made man, God took counsel with Himself and said, "Let us make man in our image." Well, at least part of that is because God acts purposely with a plan. And so many of us bounce around with whatever we feel like doing to the next thing we feel like doing. That is definitionally ungodly. It's not like God. And so um, one of the best rules I heard um, for TV and stuff was um, Rick Holland, who used to be the college pastor at Grace, in his family. If anybody in his household wanted to watch something, they had to, ahead of time, say what it was, one reason why they thought it would be helpful and when it was going to be over. And the point was to stop the channel surfing. I'm just going to see what's on. Like, no, I'd like to watch this program for this reason, and it's over. It Okay, cool. You know, and that was how they dealt with it with their kids. But what they were trying to prevent was just the give my mind something to look upon. You know, be purposeful. Um, not trying to give a law. I thought that sounded like a relatively um, helpful, or that sounded like there's some wisdom to that. But... No, I mean, just going back to Philippians, God expects us to put our mind on things, you know, and, and to be intentional about what we put our mind on in any capacity. Whether it's just what you're thinking about throughout the day, whether it's what you're reading on the Internet, whether it's what you're watching, what you're reading in a book, whatever, I should be intentional and not purely passive in what I put my mind upon. And we can so condition ourselves, the radio, the advertisements, just to be passive, you know. And that's, we should be active and assertive in what we think about. I mean, And I think even if we just start thinking like that, God will give us wisdom, we'll figure some stuff out. Um, so I think the first thing to realize is just passivity, just letting it wash over you, whatever it is, isn't good, <laughs> you know. I mean, and even if what your answer is simply, I'm tired, I want to rest, and I'm going to find some rest and some enjoyment in watching this game. That's why I'm doing it. So then you're doing it to the glory of God. I want to be a good sort of, I'm going to find some rest, and I'm going to come back from this reinvigorated. Okay, cool. But you've thought about it, you know. I mean, or another corollary would be, if we're to do all things to the glory of God, that also then means if the command's given, we could not do all things to the glory of God. So, how do you watch a football game to the glory of God? How do you watch a football game not to the glory of God? Because apparently, it's possible to do both. So, these are all good questions to be thinking. How do you how do you brush your teeth to the glory of God? How do you not brush your teeth to the glory of God? No, I mean no. These are these are. If if Paul says, "Do you eat or drink?" So I can go to. I can go to, you know, McDonald's to the glory of God, and I can go to McDonald's not to the glory of God. How, how does that work? And part of it's going to be we've got to be active, proactive in what we're doing, what we're watching, what we're thinking. And if we're passive, I guarantee you, you don't accidentally glorify God. <laughs> Do things to the glory of God. That, that usually doesn't happen. If you're not being active and thinking about it, I would, I would assume the default is I am not serving God unless I'm actively serving God. I don't think I'm passively doing it that much. So, okay. We have 10 minutes left. Mitchell has a question.
5: My question comes from the Gospel of Luke.
0: Oh, excellent. <laughs> oh, but but Verne, you clearly brought up a topic people are interested in. So,
5: Mitchell. Um, you talked about the the apostles in contradiction of government, uh, treating them with respect, the yeah. uh, governmental officials. Um, how, would, uh, how is Christ treating Herod with respect? And of course, I'm not saying that he's not.
0: But, no, no. Uh, you know, he calls him, go tell that fox. Right. Herod. No, Luke Herod's, 13. Herod's a really interesting case. I was talking to Daniel about this. Um, it is entirely possible that Jesus doesn't view Herod as a legitimate authority he will not talk to him. He completely ignores him when he stands before him. Um, that that he, he may view Herod literally as nobody. Um, I haven't fully fleshed that out, but I know Daniel tends to think that. I, but if you want to give a better example, John the Baptist, and this is the one I classically hear from people who want to rail against the government. Well, John the Baptist publicly called out, Herod It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, to which I want to say, if you think God's raised you up as a prophet, good luck to you, and expect a prophet's fate. I mean, God can raise up prophets to do that, and if that's what you think you're called to, okay. But please don't whine and complain when you get treated like a prophet. You know, sawn in half. So, that, that's, no, it's John the Baptist is the best example. He is publicly condemning, rebuking this political figure, Herod. But you know, he's, he, he gets beheaded at the end of the story. So, you know, you want, Oh, Kingery wants to weigh in now. Are you're, are you, he's not giving up the mic yet, Dave. He's learned from you. Okay. Mitchell.
5: Last question. Um, now of course we know that, uh, people have their own opinions of Kim Jong-un and, uh, and our own president, Donald Trump. But, uh, And in light of wanting to speak the truth about them, how do we honor them with our speech in light of Titus 3? Be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient. And then verse 2, to speak evil of no one. How do we not speak evil of them? Well, um,
0: I'd I'd refer you back to... um, Back when we were in the Sermon on the Plain and Jesus talked about um, judge, we, did, we paused and did a whole message on judging and judge not, and are Christians supposed to judge or not judge? And one of the first things I brought up that I think, because of the day and age we live in, no one ever thinks about is, why ought I render a judgment? You know, because Facebook's like, what do you think about this Kardashian's new outfit? I hate it. I love like Jesus can. Somebody comes up, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Who made me a judge over you? How does this fall under my jurisdiction? So part of the first thought is like, why must I have an opinion about Kim Jong Un? Who made me a judge of Kim, Kim Jong Un? You know what I mean? Um, that's not a. And this is where I think Facebook and some of the social media plays against this is because all it wants you tell us what you think, and the more provocative and witty and funny, and if you get a good meme with it, the better. And so the first question is, why ought I have an opinion, you know? Um, And if you ought to have an opinion, if you think there's a good reason to have an opinion, and maybe the answer is simply, I want to teach my kid, Abner, that person's embracing folly, and I want you to see what happens. I mean, that's what the the author of Proverbs does, right? My son, come look at me. I saw this woman, I saw this man go down by her way, and he, he was taken into the pits of Sheol, you know? He did not know. He was like a bull led to the slaughter, this guy going to do a prostitute. And sure, there's, there's, there's a, you might do that, but the first question would be, why on earth ought I? Like, what, what's my judgment about Kim Jong Un? Good to do? I mean, if you want to ask a simple question, do I? Do I, Someone says, do you think that was right? Well, now I got a clear standard. I can say, no, I think that was right, or I don't think that was right. Um, that's simple enough, right? Um, th- is this policy right or is that policy right? But like, why do I, I think he's a terrible, disgusting, disreputable? Like. Why is that my business to figure that out? Um, so I, I find it much easier to, to work through legislation. I think there's a righteous law and unrighteous law, just law and unjust law, and maybe you know some basic things. Trying to vote for people who seem to have integrity, trying to vote for people who seem their their words seems to matter to them. Like sure, but but it's just not my. Pl- like, who made me a judge over these people? What right? Right, right. So, so that's, that's my, but that's what we try to work through in that message on judging and judge not is, is there any real valid reason? And there might be a real question, a law, somebody does something, people are confused. What do we make of this? I mean, that's, people have asked me, for well, why haven't I spoken about some of these topics and stuff? Because I don't think many of us are confused. You know, I don't really ever, I haven't yet sensed in our, in our, in our church much confusion over the, like, what are we to make of this? So the re- we didn't do a message on the Supreme Court ruling because I didn't think people were like, what do we make, what do we, oh no, I'm confused. No, we, the people seem to th- think through it pretty clearly. So we, why, what's the point of making a judgment about people out there? If there really is confusion, that's one thing. Sure, okay, now we probably need to speak to it. But, um, <laughs> so that's, I think we just even asked that first question, what possible good thing is served by me rendering this verdict? And if you are going to render a verdict, then I'd say try to do it respectfully. So I can, um, I you know, I can look at a policy and say, you know, I, I don't think that's right. I, I, like, like for instance, the policies that were just passed in California to ban certain books and stuff. Yeah, as I understand it, that's wicked. It's foolish, and it's going to hurt society. And I think I can say that respectfully without saying those idiots in California passed another stupid. I mean. Who made me a judge of them? You know what I mean? Um, I'm not their judge. There's one judge and giver of the law, and when I judge them, I make, according to James, I'm no longer a doer of the law, but a judge of the law. I'm not a judge. So I can look at it and say, that that's wrong. That's not right. That's going to hurt people. That's going to create suffering. Um, But when I start speaking and people mistake me now for a judge instead of a herald, then I think we're straying into lines, you know, and, and I know there 's room for legitimate righteous anger. you see the suffering, you see what 's being done, um, and so i 'm not saying you have to be entirely dispassionate if you were living in Nazi Germany and seeing the atrocities being done, I would get the emotion and the anger and the anguish. but I still don 't think there would be a place for a condescending, stupid Hitler and all of his stupid no if you want to have your heart break or say "I am outraged it would okay i can I can deal with that. Um, but I don't think it's ever a place to have that sort of condescending, looking down your nose at these morons type of thing. I think that when we do that, it smells ugly. The world smells it as ugly. We don't do Christ any favors. We don't do anything to his name. But what we get is to feel superior, and that's, that's the payoff we get. We get to be witty or clever or whatever. And so it, it's the way, the way I advise this, what we see from Daniel, and we see even from Paul, and even Jesus' interaction with Rome When you're going to disagree with your leaders, I'd encourage you to do it like you'd counsel children to disagree with their parents or a wife to her husband or whatever. You do it respectfully. Um, It doesn't just because we think they're wrong doesn't give us the right to now just sort of, you know, light them up. Um, So that's 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 my two part answer. First, do I have any business or place rendering a verdict and if I am going to render a negative verdict, how can I do it in a respectful way? You know, um, Those would be my two pieces there. So, okay, Kingery's going to close this out. This is, I'm scared now. Get ready to mute the mic, Adam. Okay. I, on, my, on my signal. Go, Dave. <laughs> I, now! Did, did, Sorry. Okay. Um, go, <laughs> go, go, Dave. Go.
1: <laughs> did. did, did uh... Daniel, David, with Saul, and and Paul with Felix do about the same thing that John the Baptist and Jesus did with the Herod and and.
0: I don't no. I don't think so. If you look at David's interaction with Saul, David, my Lord, I have not done anything against you. He he calls him my Lord. He doesn't mm-hmm. call him names, and then David repents from. Not only will David not. Strike down Saul. He mm-hmm. is grieved and convicted because he cut off a corner of Saul's garment, which is dishonoring to him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: May I not strike down the Lord's anointed? And when he meets the guy who claims to have killed Saul, who didn't, David executes him for daring to lay his hand on the Lord's anointed. Um, mm-hmm. And then your example of, of Paul before Philip. Oh, I
1: wanted to say, he, oh. he, he was, some of the words he said when he confronted Saul I have not chased you here after an innocent man or something like that. Oh, no,
0: that. he pleads his case by all means. I yeah. am not guilty. I have not done these things. I am not a rebel. I have mm-hmm. done nothing but serve you, Saul. I mean, you got to read mm-hmm. the tone of voice. Yeah. There's nothing in the words I see that's yeah, exactly. rude or disrespectful in what David says in addressing Saul mm-hmm. as he pleads his case.
1: Okay. Yeah, and then he he said something about, but well, my hand will not be against him. Maybe the Lord will strike him down, but I my hand is not going to be. And and I agree with you. He 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 was respectful, but it was kind of a, wouldn't you say a a, a
0: strong statement? Though. I'd have to look at the text. If I don't think we have time right now, we can go. Yeah, there that's next. okay. Sa- save this for next week. No, if you got a text, but. And to, without looking at a particular example, there's a couple times David interacts with Saul. I'd have to look at the text. We could talk about the text, a particular text.
1: And Daniel, so, g- Daniel with Belshazzar said, you knew these things, and yes. he, did. he was kind of strong. But, I mean, I mean, I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but...
0: Even, though, no, he, yeah, oh, no, when, when judgment's brought against him, but Daniel is also a prophet. Yes, And so even as a prophet, but, no, but to Balthasar, the son, who just had a drunken feast with the golden implements, you knew. But again, we've got to read the tone. I could just easily read it with, Balthasar, yeah. you, you knew what happened to your father. You knew how God humbled him, and yet you did not listen. And now this has come upon you. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know what tone of voice he spoke it in. So you, I think mm-hmm. you've got to supply it. Because, yeah, you could read that same line with, like, told you so, you know, absolutely yeah. right into yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're going to break, call it a day. God bless. Thank you.